When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I said yesterday Stage 8 was possibly the most exciting stage of the tour so far, or Stage 7 even as well, but today Stage 9 was definitely my pick the day before the rest day got the yellow jersey changing hands 90 kilometer solo breakaways attacks literally from the gun for the first 50 kilometers gc action groups across the road a stage for the ages and one i'll definitely remember fondly for a long time one i'm probably going to go back and watch the last two or three hours of it in full but i'll hand over to benji to intro the stage and set us up for just before the gc action kicking off Today's stage started in Paul. We finished in Larin. Throughout the parkour, we've got three proper climbs in the sense that we have firstly a fourth cat in the first few kilometers that I don't necessarily see as a decisive climb in this parkour. Nonetheless, it kind of was because for the first 50 kilometers of the stage, we had so many attacks. But I'll go into that in a second. After that 50 kilometers, we start the first proper climb of the day, first cat called La Houssière. That one is 11.8 kilometers of 8.3% average. Already had a lot of action on that. And we had two kilometers of downhill towards the Col de Sudé. And that is basically just going to the top again, 3.8 kilometers at 7.4%. Then a downhill towards the intermediate sprint. And that is basically around 70 to 80 kilometers from the line. And then it's a bit of a, well, flat section until we have a small third cat. And after that, we go towards the Col de Marie Blanc, which is 7.3 kilometers at 8.7% average with percentages up to like 14 to 13%. So quite intense. There's also a bonus gate on top for bonus seconds, which will come into play in the stage summary. And after that, a downhill sections to about 7 kilometers from the line. And then it's flat or even falls flat uphill towards the finish line in La Rue. Directly when the neutral flag went down, we had so many attacks like... The first good hour and a half of the stage was basically attacks to get into the breakaway all out. We had riders that started attacking from at the end, followed with Sudal, Sharkman for Bora, Kemna, Alaphilippe, Cavagna. My list goes on and on, like 30 people at least, or maybe more even, that tried to go into the attack. But it was pretty simply handled by the teams in the peloton every time, in the sense that you would see 45 people get away for a bit, they get 50 meters. Then there's one guy in the peloton that thinks, oh god, I'm not in the breakaway, I need to bridge this. And the moment that person bridges over to those five people, that's when Ineos or the um, Jumbo riders actually kicked in. We had Vambala and Fanad respond to a lot that way, and you basically had the whole peloton back. And it kept doing that and doing that, I swear, at least 15 times before we actually had a proper breakaway, which was already on the Col de Do you believe that it's because Ineos and Jumbo controlled the peloton that the break didn't go so early? Well, there was so many things happening. There were so many different teams that wanted different things from that first break. You had riders like Hand just purely going for stage win and, and Hershey as well, riders like that. But then also, not just Ineos and Jumbo Visma were bringing them back, or a Hansgrohe, I thought, were doing the majority of the work actually bringing back the initial breakaway attempts because they were trying to get Peter Sagan into the break so that he could take the intermediate sprint points at the end of the first major climbs of the day. So a lot of the times I saw the figure of Daniel Oss actually pacing to get to bring those riders back either with Sagan on his wheel or sometimes with Shackman there as well or Shackman was trying to get into the break probably for his own stage win ambitions. There was a moment where Sagan got into a, a mini break with I think Postelberger on the front and I thought, oh, here we go, He's gonna, you know, they're going to get let go. But then it was Ineos and Jumbo Visma, as you mentioned. I think Amador as well was trying to get into breaks and I thought, why are they neutralizing these breakaways? Is it because they want to get the bonus seconds at the top of the Col de Marie Blanc? Or is it because they actually want to send Van Aert or uh, Amador or Castor Viejo into the breakaway so that they can be used as a launch pad? 
for their GC riders attacking on Col de Marie Blanc. I didn't really firm up on on the answer to that. I thought it was just them trying to control things because they actually wanted it to be a GC day and take all the bonus seconds on offer. But yeah, it was an incredible stage just because of that from start to finish or from the start. There were just so many attacks. And it seemed like we're now in the perfect place in the tour where enough riders have lost time on GC. There's enough riders who are thinking, sort of getting desperate for stage wins. You know, every rider's trying to get into the break now. No, Everyone's seeing that as an opportunity. And Trentin, Van Avermaet, uh, Geschke, the whole of CCC were trying to get into the break. So that's what made it so exciting. So many different things going on. And it was one of those stages that definitely should have been televised from start to finish. Well, I do want to add on one thing beforehand. I want to throw in the thing we talked about yesterday. Tomorrow is the rest day. We've got tests for COVID happening that day. Our team's potentially afraid that the two riders going positive, getting thrown out of the TDF rule, might apply to them tomorrow, and therefore they're more active to try and get something out of this stage. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean... Jumbo Visma have been in the press saying they don't really care about the Tour de France stage win if they wouldn't count it for anybody if the Tour de France gets cancelled halfway through. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the COVID protocol recently, but you'd think if some, you'd think if COVID was rife in the peloton that it would have shown itself by now. But maybe that's just my misunderstanding of COVID uh, and the problem with it being that often people and fit people don't actually realise they have it. But yeah, we're going to see tomorrow with the rest day. Um, obviously the fans on the road yesterday weren't exactly model citizens for uh, social distancing and mask wearing. So again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how long it takes for COVID to incubate. Perhaps that played into it. I definitely think I definitely think just be- because of COVID on more of a macro level, not just the rest day thing, but just on like a desperation to get a stage win and show yourself, I definitely think there's more urge in the peloton to for riders to get that stage win or show themselves because you know long layoff pay cuts a lot of contracts are up are expiring at the end of this year nothing like a tour de france stage win or a strong strong you know even stage podium result to um to help those contract negotiations negotiations out but yeah handing over to you for the first category one climb of the day benji so basically near the bottom we had plenty of riders still attacking but the peloton basically just started splitting up because you had so many attacks that the pace went up so high. And we basically saw a smaller group get out the front and right away for a tiny bit, they had roughly 45 seconds or so. And that group included the following riders, Reichenbach, Godu, Hirschi, and two riders that also bridged up to it, but also in that turn made the peloton come closer again. Was Vanar tried to bridge up and did so? We also had a rider from Ineos, but I'm not sure who it was. Maybe you know? Uh, yeah, Castroviejo was the Ineos rider that they sent into the breakaway, and he looked pretty good for a time. Uh, didn't really work out later, but I think that, yeah, Wout Van Aert was there as well. And so it was interesting where it was the first stage where we've seen the two sort of dominant teams put their, maybe their best domestiques each into the breakaway. I felt like it kind of nullified the, the breakaway a little bit and slowed it down, uh, but maybe to use them as a launch pad as well. But then because that break started to slow down a little bit, that caused our man of the day to go clear. Mark Hirsch decided that the pace wasn't going too fast enough for him, so he attacked near the top of the Col de and his gap would go up quite easily towards a minute later on. But one thing I do want to bring up, you know, attack to that breakaway group and basically dropped straightly after when he couldn't keep up anymore what's your opinion on that well it was at the bottom of the the uh climb and the whole of f well not the whole of fdj but valentin madawa who's pretty strong fdj rider he'd been trying to get into the break all day and then six riders presented at the front of the peloton and i think they had a little gap of like a second or two seconds and had pino madawa camner verona and danny martinez and you know, it was good to see Camden getting a bit of a license to go on the breakaway. I was hoping that would happen with Bookman, unfortunately, not looking too good. But yeah, Pino tried to go clear on Orsier a couple of times, actually. I think he attacked multiple times. First, he was being helped by Madawa. Then with his uh, trusty domestique, Sebastian Reichenbach, 
was pulling for him a little bit, and Pino was looking pretty good, and everyone was shook because I'm not going to lie, I I thought Pino had abandoned. I hadn't checked the start list that closely this morning. <laughs> um, I thought he'd abandoned because you know that's what you do when you lose. I don't know what I, I thought he might have even missed the time cut yesterday. So even seeing him there, I was like, hold on, am I looking at David Godot or is it actually Pino? And then I saw 51. I thought, holy, back for another day of Thibaut Pino watching on the cameras. But um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I don't know. I've softened my take a little bit. I initially was like, how is it possible that you can get dropped and lose like 25 minutes yesterday or however much it was and your back is in terrible pain and then today – you're able to attack, but then you attack like so strongly that you then drop yourself badly. But then he made him made his way back up to like a pretty solid second group on the road again. I think later on, Benji. I don't know. I stopped like following his movements too closely. He seems to still not be like riding to the to like any sort of power or like plan. Like, do you think he's actually riding to like some sort of plan or knowing what his actual limits are? Because it seems like he just vastly overextends past them and then cracks and like literally can't pedal for two, two and a half minutes. And then he's like, okay, I'm actually all right again. And then slots in with a group with the first FDJ rider he sees in the, on the road and can sort of recover for a little bit. I've got a bit of a different opinion towards Spino's attacks, but I also want to... um give some extra additional info that happened after today's, well, yesterday's stage. At the end, he uh, lost 18 minutes. And after the uh, race, he said in a post-race interview that he hinted towards not even riding the Tour de France ever again this after this year. But maybe that's just an emotional direct response after the race. That's something Pino has done before. So I still believe we're going to see him again in the Tour de France in the upcoming years. Nonetheless, towards today's attack, I feel that he said sorry towards his fans and his teams yesterday in that interview. And he maybe wants to try and give something back still because a lot of people, yeah, supported him throughout the Tour de France and the run into towards the Tour de France. And I also feel that French riders are having a harder time just abandoning in the Tour de France than any other rider because we've seen that Oliver Arsen has even said in Ajazer that just abandoning is not doable in a French team that's not showing respect to Tour de France and I believe that's somewhat the case that Pino has here and honestly I felt respectuous towards him after he attacked it wasn't a very intelligent attack but he gave entertainment and I certainly enjoyed it for the uh, time that it actually took for him to get caught again. Yeah, I think I saw a similar quote. Uh, I probably saw it third-hand on Twitter, Twitter and mis- mistranslated, you know, something about him saying this is a turning point in my career, alluding to maybe not going for GC in the Tour de France anymore. I want to also make clear, by the way, I'm a big Thibaut Pino fan. He's a guy I really like I have a love-hate relationship with because – I just think he's such a good rider. I really like his skill set. He's clearly improved his descending compared to where he was a few years ago. I loved his win in, uh, in Lombardia, you know, after his battles with Vincenzo Nibali. I really like Pino as a rider. and But then I've got this, there's this sort of dark side to, my, to the relationship where he does these things, which <laughs> are sometimes quite frustrating. But this isn't that. Like, what if... We ignore, imagine if, he, if he's just a blank canvas. Imagine if he's Tadej Pogacar, who maybe the majority of us in the cycling world, we haven't built up this character of who Tadej Pogacar is, you know, that he crumbles under pressure or he's just like the most resilient rider ever, like a rock, um, you know, like Chris Froome, he'll just, he'll come back up the next day and, and he could do anything. Pogacar's a bit of a blank canvas. It's starting to be painted, that picture now, as we see more of him. Um, or the world sees more of him in, the, in this, the biggest race in the world. But Pino, we've got all this baggage. We've got three DNFs, I think, in the Tour de France previously. We've got the overall terrible ground tour record. But if you ignore that and just look at what happened, the guy fell on his sacrum or his tailbone pretty hard on stage one. A lot of people crashed and hurt themselves. 
The same thing happened to Wat Poles. And it wasn't really Thibaut Pino's fault that that happened. And it sounds like they've done the best they can with the osteopath. Uh, and I don't know what an osteopath is, by the way, not a common term in Australia. Is that a physio? But anyway, um, it sounds like they've done the best they can to try and get his back into a, a rideable condition so he can actually at least compete in the tour. He tried to compete for GC. It just wasn't happening. And maybe the, maybe the nature of his injury is that like one day it's good or then another day he pedals in a little wrong angle and he twinges it and he's stuffed for the day. And obviously if you're in that sort of condition, you, you ain't contesting GC, but maybe you could go for stage wins. So that's probably the rationale for what he was doing today. And I think that's what you think, Benji, was trying to show, hey, um, I can still ride. I'm going to give it all I've got. It's a Tour de France. And I think if it was, you know, Wart Poles and is getting a lot of sort of applause for what he's doing, Sivakov sort of getting credit from Ineos. If it was Philippe or Chris Froome doing what Pino did or did today, maybe we wouldn't be so critical of him. Like Robin McEwen went in pretty hard on him actually on the broadcast, talking about psychological stuff. Now, for sure, obviously, I think when, when adversity strikes, I don't think Pino reacts to it in the race uh, particularly well and straight after the race. Probably in the off-season, I actually think he's a pretty balanced guy and he's got hobbies off the bike, etc. But, yeah, in the race, not great. But at the end of the day, the guy crashed, hurt his back. They haven't been able to fix it. Like, what can he do? Just because you can't just rub some salt in it and be like, toughen up, princess, and that's just going to fix it, having that attitude. If if you're back-stuffed, what can you do? And it's not even a case of he's come in and just for no reason been completely overcooked um sorry benji i've just gotten like a four minute Thibaut pino monologue <laughs> there i just you know I, you can everyone can probably feel the the emotions that i needed to get out about about uh Thibaut. do you disagree with any of that or have anything else to add to Thibaut? we probably need to move on because we're doing the podcast version of french tv focusing on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i genuinely agree with you honestly and basically the moment that uh we saw pino get caught and that front group had Hirschi off the front. Hirschi took quite a lot of time. He took the points at the top of it with yeah, And he's actually growing and growing in the KOM standings because of that, because he also takes the points on the Col de Soudé. At that point in the peloton, we had Wout van Aert starting the uh, pace because he was caught by the peloton in which Jumbo also was pacing. So they basically just got the breakaway where van Aert was riding. And then van Aert went ahead and put himself up front in that peloton to start pacing there. Then in the downhill of the Soudé, it was... Quite technical because it was raining or at least foggy at the top of the Sudé and the roads were wet because of that. And we directly saw that here she could actually descend quite well. And he took quite a lot of time towards the bottom of the Col de Sudé, which is where the intermediate sprint was happening. And at that point, Wout van Aert was still running the, uh, the whole canvas in the peloton. In regards to that intermediate sprint, we had, of course, here she taking those first 20 points and there was still a small group behind Hirschi at that point, taking away quite a lot of points, but seven points were left for the peloton, and we had Trenton pace for that in the peloton, well, sprint for that in the peloton. He took the, um, well, the seven points that were still available. And one thing that was notable there is that at that point, I think Hersink was pacing in the peloton, and Wout Fernand was in second position about 500 meters before the intermediate sprint. And we see about 50 meters before the intermediate sprint, we see Wout Fernand move up just past Hersink, to take the points, at least one point more than if he was in the second position. He didn't really sprint against Trenton for it, but he did consciously think about the intermediate sprint and take that extra point away from Hesing to then go back and go back to second position. Nonetheless, after that, we basically continued onwards. Here she with about four minutes and a half advantage right now onto the Col d'Icher, another KOM point where he takes points. And this again brings him closer to KOM. I love this because. He was my pick for KOM at the TDF preview, surprisingly. Nonetheless, we have a climb where nothing really happens in the GC there. We see pacing by Jumbo still. They're still at the front of the peloton, and they keep doing that towards the bottom of the Col de Marie Blanc and continue doing that on there. She had about two minutes and a half, three minutes at the bottom of the Col de Marie Blanc, which is about a good 35 kilometers from the line. And basically the race opened up and exploded on the Col de Marie Blanc in the peloton. What happened? It was 44 k's to go that the remnants of the chase chasing uh, Hershey were caught by the pillow. And he had, yeah, 4 minutes 30. 
we saw, I think you put up a poll on your Twitter, Benji. Was it about this time or was it after the, the uh, Marie Blanc? I think it was after the first big descent. You put up a, a poll saying who is the worst descender in the peloton because oh, yeah. we'd seen Re- Remy Cavagna, uh, not Remy Cavagna, oh, who we'll get to him. We saw Reichenbach, Swiss champ, on that descent. He was like a minute and a half ahead of the peloton and he got caught by them at the end of the descent because he was descending so slowly. Um, relative to other riders. And Hershey's a good example of a guy who like, good descenders still make mistakes. Like Hershey made a mistake when he – like he attacked multiple times today before the climbs. Like he wanted to get in that breakaway. And he made a mistake. You might have seen it if you you know, were watching on Twitter or whatever or watched the whole race. He unclipped around a left-hand corner and nearly went, nearly went off the road. He saved it but was undeterred and just kept forging on and taking loads of risks. And I guess that's descending is not just technical ability. You spoke about it yesterday with Zacharin. It's also mentally just accepting, hey, I'm pushing this 25-millimeter tire through this corner, which has a damp patch at uh, 70 k's an hour or 65 k's an hour. There's a 3% chance, 4% chance in any of these corners that my front wheel is going to wash away or something. And Hershey's like, well, that's just a risk you got to take to uh, get the stage win. You've got to risk it for the biscuit. Whereas Reichenbach and, and Zacharin, it, it's almost, it's, yeah, mental. They're like, not just not comfortable in this sense. But yeah, go and check out Benji's poll. I haven't seen the results of it. I'd assume it was Zacharin who's leading that poll. But uh, we won't spoil that. You can go and check it out yourself. And then Jumbo Visma, this today, they look much more organised. They look way better than yesterday. They had the, the riders we'd expect to be there at the front after Wa Van Aert finished pulling. It was uh, Sepp Kuss on the front, I think. They had Bennett, Dumoulin. So it, it was a line of Jumbo Visma riders. Ineos had initially looked like they had good numbers. They had Carapaz, Bernal in the white jersey, I think, at that stage. Who else was it? Castroviejo and Kwiatkowski. And the minute, or just at the end of Wapanart's pull, Kwiatkowski and Castroviejo went out the back door and got dropped. So it was just Carapaz. What do you think, Benji? I mean, just, just interrupting here, after Sepkus pulls and pulls off, and he pulled like Sepkus's pull, it wasn't like those Dauphiné pulls, um, or the Stage 2 pull where it's like in the last 1,500 metres where he just shreds it for two minutes. This was sort of at the base or in the first third of a climb where he was not pulling as quickly and they... They definitely weren't gaining any time on Hershey there either. He pulls off. No one had really been dropped, to be honest. And Bennett started pulling. Do you think Bennett's in like Super Dom, Grand Piemonte winning form that he was in, Benji, or is he still recovering from that crash? I believe he's not up there yet because despite the fact that he did do more damage than Gus today, I still believe that the super domestique for Roglic right now is basically Dumoulin after he changed his leader's position to a, a domestique position yesterday. But I don't feel like Bennett is up to standards yet. In the lead-up races before his crash, he just looked imperious. The way he, in Lombardia, was the only one really capable of pushing Jakob Fulsang and taking it to that last climb. Fulsang obviously absolutely flying. Uh, he's definitely not at that level at the moment and I think it's because of that crash he couldn't really pull that hard and then it was Tare Pagacha attacking uh, and then it was a quick check to see who was going to be pulling to bring back that initial Tare Pagacha attack and Tare Pagacha is the rider we have been crying out for for like eight years just an unbelievable rider aggressive I don't think he would just I don't think he's just attacking because he lost time yesterday. I just think he's an animal. I just think he that's the way he likes to ride. We saw in the Vuelta last year. This is just what he does. This is a Vuelta-style stage similar, similar to the ones last year. Yeah, he's lost time, so he's got to make it up, etc. But, yeah, I think this is just who he is, and it's, it's fantastic to see. But to your point, Benji, how Dumoulin has gone to be a super domestique, i, I got to be honest, I didn't realise that like they were actually doing the two-leader thing. I've been pretty vocal since the Yumbo Visma announcement of their Tour de France team in like November last year that no, 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 no. It's, they all sat down, they got they got around a table and they said, we ride for Primoz and uh, yeah, Dumoulin, you know, we'll see how you go coming back from like a year and a half of that racing. So 
I never looked at him as like a second leader. Seeing some of the comments in our YouTube video of the podcast yesterday, we appreciate all those comments, by the way. A few of the Dutch fans obviously had thought of uh, Dumla as a genuine second contender on GC, but the minute you, if you see Wavanaar pulling yesterday on the like HC climb Porte Ballet, and you see Dumla losing his wheel, you 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 can't win the Tour de France if, if that's happening. Like it's not it's not possible. So the minute you see that, you don't need any further information to know that the best he can do is be a domestique. But anyway, despite Roglic in the media yesterday saying we don't chase back other Slovenian riders, which was clearly him just deflecting a question because he couldn't be bothered answering it, by the way. It was Dumoulin on the front pulling back Pogacar's first attack. Were you? Do you think that's going to continue for Dumoulin, Benji? And were you impressed by Dumoulin, actually? A bit of both. I uh, feel like Pogacar's attack was quite intense the first second that he attacked, like the acceleration, but Dumoulin saw that he had a gap of 10 meters. He kind of paced a bit less than we saw yesterday, for example, after his attack. So I believe that it was notable that he saw that Dumoulin was in front of that group and was chasing him, that he was probably thinking, maybe I should wait a tiny bit. Not necessarily wait, but pace and keep in mind that I'll need to do this again because he uh, wasn't gone and he knew that he wasn't gone at that point. But even so, his attack and then Dumoulin chasing dropped Adam Yates off the wheel. I think Miguel Angel Lopez, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Benji, right. he was also with the Yates move as well. Or not the move, he was with Yates sort of losing touch uh, when Dumoulin was pulling. Then Egan Bernal countered over the top of the Tade Pogaccio attack. And i got to say I'm not, not a fan of it for Bernal for a number of reasons. One, Roglic is probably... He's been sitting in the wheels all day. He was able to follow the, you know, Dumoulin's chasing back Pagacha. It's very unlikely in this sort of profile that he was able to, maybe he's going for the bonus seconds at the top of the Murray Blanc. And, you know, hats off to him for being aggressive, but it just reminded me, it reminded me of that stage two Dauphiné attack where he attacked Jumbo Visma and Koos pulled him back and Roglic then looked at him and was like, nah. And he, he kind of left himself exposed and put himself on the limit. Whereas, you know, this this ain't the Skytrain years anymore. They don't have the Superdoms. They don't have Port 2013. They don't have White Poles. They don't have a version of Egan Bernal 2018. He's got to ride pretty defensively. Like He's got to ride the way Adam Yates rides because he's not going to have teammates in these situations where he's got Roglic, Pogacar, Landa, and Richie Port for a second with them, five of them on that climb. and they're probably all pretty similar level, to be honest, uh, on the climbs. Like, there's not that much difference between them. Probably Pagacha, I'd say, is actually, if they were doing a TT right now up an HD climb, I'd be I'd be taking Pagacha, but that's a story for another day. It ended up that Hershey crested the top of the Col de Marie Blanc 35 seconds ahead of that group. What happened just before the summit, Benji, out of that group of five that was nearly a disaster for Pagacha? At that point, Egan Bernal launches for the B gate because there's bonus seconds on top of the Marie Blanc, so they get bonus seconds for GC. At that point, we had Roglic already in virtual yellow, if I recall correctly, because Yates was off the back quite far already, I think about 30 seconds at that point. Either way, it was itself Bernal launches for the uh, initial sprint there, and at that moment, Pogacar and Roglic were quick to respond, honestly. There was no real fear that they couldn't latch onto the wheel of Bernal at that point. The first rider to go past Bernal was Pogacar, and Rolich went across Bernal as well at that point, but Pogacar thought he was pretty clear, and thought he had it, so he looks on the right behind him, and at that point Rolich passes him on the left, just before the intermediate, well, the uh, top of that KOM, that sprint, and Rolich takes those bonus seconds ahead of Pogacar, and because Pogacar was looking right behind him, he actually um, almost took out both Slovenians there because he rode almost straight into Roglic and he turned his head just at the moment where he was going to ride into Roglic and was able to avoid somewhat Roglic and avoid crashing himself quite well. Roglic said sorry, even though I do think that it's Pogacar's fault a bit because he was the guy that was looking behind him at that point. Roglic had to turn because there was a turn at the top of that KOM. So Pogacar just rode straight and basically was heading for a wall at that point. So I believe that Pogacar's a bit more at fault at that, but 
it seemed like they were pretty content. They both didn't fall and just continued racing. Yeah, I'd say it was 90% Pogacar's fault. He drifted pretty far to the left. And it's similar if you if you guys have seen the where Kwiatkowski chopped Dumoulin. It was like that, except this time it was Pogacar at fault because he was drifting. And, and Roglic didn't really change his line too much. I think he just, as you said, Benji, really surprised Pogacar by how quickly he was coming. And they, they kind of had a little gap on Bernal and Lander over the top, maybe of like a second, a second and a half. But because Roglic was so preoccupied with apologizing to Pogacar, he they sort of sat up and Bernal and Lander <laughs> caught back up to them. Hershey started the descent, as I said, with 35 seconds. He took those full 10 points for the KOM and the eight-second bonus. Roglic took another five bonus seconds. Pogacar, two bonus seconds. And Yates, actually over the top, was at 1 minute 05. And I think that was 1 minute 05 to Hershey, not Roglic, so about 35 seconds behind. But Benji, you know, I, I know you were frothing this. Hershey's downhill on the descent of uh, Marie Blanc. That's worth watching the stage on its own. I want to start with this, that one of your videos that probably is one of your best videos is the one with Vincenzo Nibali down at Triviglio. And this went to that a bit because he was riding for his life down that climb and the cornering technique was pretty much perfect. We had at the start of the stage where you mentioned that he had one mistake in the downhill of the Sudal thing, but on this Marie Blanc descent, he was riding 85 kilometers an hour and flying through corners like crazy without one single mistake in any corner. Honestly, I admire that. I love amazing descents in cycling. Vincenzo Nibali doing so. I think Cancellara as well in the past. And yeah, Savoldelli in the past. And certainly, Gipsy was one of the ones that I'm going to remember. Just a magic descent. And I'd encourage you to all watch it as well. Just full confidence. And he gained time i think on the descent over them because it was down to like 12 15 seconds and then he took it out to about 30 seconds on the descent but the problem was a seven kilometer run into the finish which was like false flat uphill and on the climb tertiary looked okay except then when the gc guys started attacking each other on marie blanc he he really lost a lot of time there on the descents he was quicker than them i gotta say there was a few few comments saying you're insane for saying Pogac is stronger than Roglic on the climbs, and Benji, you're a madman for saying that Roglic is overrated as a descender. I've got to say this is kind of a another tick in sort of Benji's, whatever little book Benji has or some sort of beautiful mind po- like um, board he has in his house where he maps out the best descenders in the world. <laughs> the Roglic yeah. descent today and Bernal descent, like honestly, he was losing Bernal's wheel through some of the corners. Like on the straight fast sections, he was quicker. But once you hear, once you really think about it, and you're watching it closely, it's like, is he is he as good as Bernal on or Pagatra on the descents? Like, what do you think, Benji? Am I giving you too much credit? I think on that end, you might. I believe that one of the better descenders that we don't know of in the GC group is Ron, because he was the group he was leading that group yesterday back to the group with Roglic in the uh, final descent on the Peresurde. And I believe Uran is definitely one of the ones up there. In regards to Roglic, he is just a powerhouse on these straight crazy descents. But when it comes to the cornering of Philly, he's not as amazing as some of the riders that have excellent technique. I'm not necessarily saying that Bernal has amazing technique. I genuinely haven't looked at Bernal's ascending too much for that. Bogatra has shown that he can descend, but then again, yesterday he lost quite a bit of time on the descent. So I'm honestly not sure. It's I think they're all pretty close, but I admire riders more when their technique in cornering is just great. And I feel like Hirschi was just MVP there today. Yeah, for sure. He gained, you know, he gained time, and this wasn't just like a non-pedaling descent. There were parts where you needed to pedal as well. He gained 15 seconds on GC guys who are fresher than him. You got to bear in mind, Hirschi had attacked with 90 Ks to go and went solo on a stage with two Cat 1s and two Cat 3s, okay? And, like, some pretty long valleys in there as well, getting chased down by Wat Van Aert and the Jumbo Visma train. And he put 15 seconds into these guys on the descent. So that alone is just whatever he's getting paid (laughs) somewhere. I don't know when that contract expires, but he's going to get paid a lot more. But on to the finale, and I mentioned those valleys, and this this was the undoing of Hiroshi. 
the reason why he got chased down for the stage win was twofold. Why, why the GC guys were just fixated on chasing him down. There were more bonus seconds on the line, which, by the way, bonus seconds on the line for stage wins is like they have to stay forever in every stage race. That's not even a debate anymore. They definitely make GC racing more exciting. But the, re- the reality was all those guys and Lander and co were all working together because Guillaume Martin was third on GC. Quintana's definitely a threat. You know, you've got Colombia, Calderar, Lowe's. Do you really want to be going into those stages if you're Landa or Pagacha or anyone really on the same time as Quintana? Like if you don't have to and all, all you have to do is just pull for seven kilometers with four other guys to keep put time into him, then why not? So with seven Ks to go, the gap was 28 seconds to Hershey. Landa, Pagacha, Bernal and Roglic all worked together seamlessly. So it was four guys and... This started to spell the death knell for Mark Hershey. His odds in play, like I don't want to talk about betting too much, but just to show you what people thought was going to happen, he was at a dollar twenty-two that I saw. That's how how low he went down to with seven Ks to go when people saw that 30-second gap. That means that people thought he had an 80% chance of winning at that point. And yet the minute those guys started working, five seconds in one kilometer, another eight seconds in the next kilometer. And then with three Ks to go, the gap was only 12 seconds. And at that point, we knew he was, you know, he was kind of even sitting up at that point. I'm not sure whether the Sunweb directors told him to sit up. I know a lot of people were messaging me saying that he should sit up. And he was caught with two kilometers to go. And the reason he sh- they said he should sit up was because he definitely packs the strongest sprint out of all the, of those other four guys. And Benji, yeah, were you surprised he got caught? Do you, th- do you think it was the right strategic decision for those GC guys to all band together and try and put time into Quintana, Uran, Guillaume Martin, some, and Adam Yates as well. You know, Yellow Jersey was on the line too. Honestly, do because there's limited days that you can actually take time on fellow competitors in this Tour de France, in my honest opinion. Definitely at this point, because we had quite a few climbing stages already. So you've got Colombier and Cote de mainly after this and that, ITT on Plage Belfia. But additionally, it just worked out for them both. But I feel like Roglic did do most of the work. Maybe it was because he wanted that yellow jersey but yesterday they pretty much said they didn't want it yet so I was a bit confused seeing Roglic pace a lot in those four-man group but honestly I wasn't really surprised they would work together but it's also because they all have something to gain here they have time to gain on other people and they all have the same amount of desire to win the stage and they know that here she is just ahead of them, and Pogacar is one of those riders that never stops riding for a victory, even if it's just a stage win. Two Ks to go, a group of five. You've got the four GC favorites or riders, contenders that we spoke about, and Hershey joins them. Hershey immediately sits on the back of that group, uh, not even by choice. Like Egan Bernal went after he pulled his turn, like went straight back into fourth position in front of Hershey. So I think Bernal was more focused on getting time at that point. And yeah, they all rolled turns, but then with about a K to go, I think Pagacha rolled through after Bernal flicked them after a pretty short turn. And then it was Roglic that actually led this out from quite a long way. More focused on, yeah, getting that yellow jersey because no matter what happened in the sprint, Benji, I'm pretty sure Roglic was always going to go into yellow. Pagacha, I think, second wheel. Mark Hirschi was like at the fourth wheel at the back of the group quite a way behind maybe even last in the group last. and with two, 250 meters to go here she kicks really strong initial acceleration like very impressive we saw it on stage two like the way he got that close to Alaphilippe was incredible as well I kind of think he yeah he went really early Pogacha got up into his slip slipstream I mean it took a while for Pogacha to get there as well like the initial three seconds Hershey was definitely way way quicker but just that length of time that Pagacci was able to be in his draft. And then he came around him on the right-hand side. Roglic as well on the left-hand side. Roglic and Pagacci were kind of fighting for Hershey's wheel a little bit. Roglic went left and moved off the wheel a bit later than Pagacci. And Roglic actually beat Hershey on the line by about the you know, about two inches. But Pagacci on the right-hand side took his first Tour de France stage victory in a five-up sprint with Landa, Bernal, Roglic, and Hershey. Hershey coming third by like half a wheel to some GC riders who just wouldn't let him go because those bonus seconds were on the line. So sad for Hershey. 
90 Ks in the solo break. And 30 heartbreaking because I basically said that Roland was going to win the stage today, yesterday in the, uh, in the pod. But this morning I changed my mind because I saw that Roland was on three minutes in GC. So I thought they're never going to let him go. So I switched that around and decided to bet on three riders live the moment the stage started. I saw here she move up in the peloton. I was like, that's going to be a man I'll bet on. And Vanard moved up and kept responding to attacks. So I was like, maybe they're just going to give him a chance. And my Belgian patriotism decided to bet on him as well. And Shockman as well. So basically $10 on each. Tears falling from my eyes right now. Nonetheless, I um, I will gladly give $10 to see a race like this. The whole time we were watching it and we just we didn't know, is he going to have enough time over the top of the climb? Is he going to make enough time up on the descent? He's kind of at the behest of whether the GC guys are going to attack each other. When Pagatcher attacked on the on Mary Blanc, you know, that, that like put 30 seconds into him straight away. But then they were sitting up and looking at each other. So he gains back another 12 seconds and then he gets into that value. It was just, it was unbelievable. Such a good stage. Go watch it in full if you can. I'll obviously be, I just told my producer, Joe at ITV, I said, Joe, we're going to be doing an analysis video <laughs> of this stage. So if you're in the UK or you've got a VPN, um, Benji, we don't have a VPN sponsor yet, so we probably need to get onto that. But um, yes. we'll talk about that offline. But yeah, it's it's worth watching wherever you are. I'm sure you can all get access to some Tour de France highlights or the full stage, whatever country you're in, hopefully. We were also like focused. Everyone was reeling when we saw what happened on the line. Pogaccia posted up. Pogaccia puts his hands on his head. He couldn't believe it. The man who lost 90 seconds in the crosswinds two and a, two days ago. And then we almost forgot, well, where's Adam Yates? You know, the man who's actually been carrying the yellow jersey for like, what, three or four days now. He was a minute and 10 seconds behind, I think. Um, so he actually lost quite a lot of time, uh, unfortunately, for Yates. So the yellow jersey went to Primoz Roglic. I'll just read out the stage, sorry, for you all. Pogaccia, Roglic, Hirschi, Bernard, Landa, all same time, but Pogaccia takes the majority of the bonus seconds. Roglic took uh, additional bonus seconds on the line, and then I think, yeah, Hirschi took the others. GC, Primoz Roglic moves up from second to first in GC, 21 seconds ahead of Egan Bernal, who's now second on GC. Guillaume Martin still third on GC, actually. With 28 seconds behind Roglic. And that, that's why I think you look at that order, you almost forget where Guillaume Martin is or that he's in the podium position. That's why Agacha, Lander and Co. were just like straight onto it. Roman Bardet, Benji, still fourth on GC, 30 seconds behind Roglic. Quintana moves up to fifth. Rigoberto Uran moves up two positions. Quintana Uran both on 32 seconds. Pogaccia's still actually on 44 seconds in seventh on GC. Adam Yates, the big loser on the day. I mean, I say loser, but like he he's done a fantastic job holding yellow when they were going for stage wins, but he moved down seven positions here and now a minute and two seconds behind Primoz Roglic. Miguel Angel Lopez, not a good day for him, a minute and 15 behind Roglic, and Lander is now a minute and 42 back. Richie Port survives the stage, although he's a minute and 53 <laughs> behind Roglic, but he's still in the Tour de France. SBS were freaking out about it. Is there anything you want to talk about in that top 10, Benji? Maybe Bardet on fourth? I know you have some views on that. People were going at us in the YouTube comments yesterday saying we're too mean about Ajudoel Mondial. In general, you have quite a few riders in this top 10 that can time trial. And I believe Bardet is not one of them. So he's going to be out of that, well, out of the top five at least, in regards to uh, Plage Belfi ITT, because 30 kilometers of that is flat. Additionally, Guillaume Martin is one of the worst time trialists in the peloton. So... I'm guessing that he's gone as well by then. Uran's a pretty good time trialist. Quintana is mediocre, sometimes good, sometimes bad. So I'm guessing he's going to stay roughly around fifth position. But in regards to the rest, Roglic can TT, Bernal can somewhat TT. We have Pogacar who can TT. We have Adam Yates who can sometimes TT on, on a good day. Lopez, not amazing, but he can survive sometimes. And the 10th position, Landa, who's genuinely not so great at it. I even joked yesterday that he was only one minute ahead of his teammate, Caruso, in GC. Now he's, I think, two minutes ahead of Caruso. So the gap is larger, but it still somewhat plays, but probably won't be playing the moment we hit stage 20. If Landa and Caruso start Plangeville Fiat, for example, tomorrow, that ITT, then I believe that a Caruso would have passed Landa in GC, but with Colombier and Colalos in between there, then it won't be the case. So it might have been 
accidentally leading up towards a hashtag free London moment again. I'll ask you this question, Benji. If Tadej Pogacar was on Jumbo Visma and Roglic was on UAE Emirates, who would you pick to win this year's tour? Well, I would already pick Pogacar if he was at UAE. Oh, true, so. right. <laughs> the whole reasoning behind okay, it is as well so that... listeners okay forget you forget you <laughs> listeners on the youtube comments or hashtag lrcp answer that answer that question if Pagatu was on yamo visma roglic was on uae who would you have winning this year's tour because yeah benji's already he's already looking like he's made a pretty good pick with Pagatu. whatever happens in this year's tour but yeah i'll let you expand on it anyway i uh believe that Bogacha, despite not having the team, he's always up there in a good position just behind the uh, jumbo train. So basically whatever the jumbo train is doing, and they're putting Roglic pretty much isolated at the finishing climb, then they're also putting Pogacar isolated at the finishing climb. So I, despite the fact that jumbo's tactics today were better than yesterday, I believe that they're not doing it perfectly because they're too offensive for Roglic maybe. Because I think that they're basically putting him isolated on the final climb every time. And in the Dauphiné, that was not the case. They were focusing on putting him in the last kilometer isolated. And I think that's a bit weakness of Jumbo in the sense that it's a bit of a bad strategy. Not necessarily horrible, but I am wondering whether that's going to lead to Roglic maybe having to do a whole Colombiero Colas by himself against his competitors because that would honestly not be great. Well, here's the counterpoint to that. Well, if they don't pace really hard, they'll just get attacked and they won't be able to pace. And my response to that is, and my response to it for yesterday's stage, by the way, when Wafanart was pacing so hard he dropped Dumoulin, <laughs> look at the Monteguel stage. Ineos paced, like, can we even use the word paced? Ineos went like, 5.2 watts per kilo on that climb. And after the stage, Pogacar was like, yeah, man, my TSS probably wasn't even high enough for that to like be a real training ride up that climb. So why couldn't Yamba Visma have dialed it back just a little bit on with Wavanaat yesterday? And I do actually think they did, Benji. The way Koos climbed, because Sepp Koos was climbing at the same speed as Hershey. So Hershey had been in the break for like 50Ks, and Koos was climbing the same speed as him, not gaining any time. So I think they actually had dialed it back a little bit. What people are going to say, and I kind of agree with it too, is we all expect and everyone thinks, okay, well, Yumbo Visma's strongest team in the race. They've got all these riders. Just do Skytrain. Just do Yumbo Visma train that you did in Dauphiné. Did the Skytrain in the Tour de France ever have to come up against someone that did 6.5 to or maybe 6.7 watts per kilo for 24 minutes at the end of a stage? Yesterday, Tadej Pogacar on Peresud. I don't remember that happening too much. How did the Sky Train control Quintana on when he actually had a really good day on Alpe d'Huez, I think, when he gained a fair few minutes on Froome? There's only so much a train can do. It's kind of like the mid-2000s races where the domestiques can only do so much when it gets really steep. And if you don't have the watts per kilo or if a competitor like Pagacha is just going to go balls to the wall and say, I'm going to attack you, I don't even care, and he's got the watts to back it up. It does help, obviously. Like they, It helps having Dumoulin to bring him back for that first attack. That is a, that's really important. But to your point, Benji, yeah, like Marie, Col de Marie Blanc, not a long climb. This is not a stage, 154K stage, finishing with a cat one that's 7.5Ks long. You're never going to see massive time gaps there. But what happens if Roglic gets on the wrong side of an attack and misses it because Dumoulin isn't pacing or isn't there and Bernal, Lander and Pogacar team up and except we're on the Colombier, except we're on the Col de la Rose and we've got 15 k's left or 12 kilometers left in the climb. That's the nightmare scenario for Jumbo Visma. Benji, do you think there's anything they can change about their train to actually stop that happening? I would use it later. I feel like today they started facing the moment that the first kilometer day properly started. So I don't deem that necessary. They also just totally controlled the uh, breakaway at full force there. So there was no one dangerous in there. You don't need to do that. And nobody from the GC is going to attack on the Lucia or the Sude. So yeah, let Pino get the stage win. Who cares? But in the end, they 
are launching it too early in my honest opinion. But I do want to add to this that obviously Rogic is in yellow. He's in pole position for the yellow jersey at the moment. But we don't mean this as criticism towards Roglic or Jumbo, but we just sometimes wonder if their strategies cannot be used even more efficiently to maybe gain time with Roglic. Because I believe if they did that, they could have brought him to maybe the last three kilometers of the Marie Blanc and he could have done what he did on the Dauphiné and trying to tag there. But yeah, now they're basically forcing him to do the whole climb alone outside of Dumoulin doing that one response earlier on. Just a quick market update for you guys. Primoz Roglic, despite being in yellow, has actually drifted a little bit and he's now the $2.05 favourite. The big movement in the day actually is Egan Bernal and Pogaccia. They're now each $4.50 to win the Tour de France. So it's clearly it's now even more polarised as a three-horse race. Myra Quintana is still like 30 to 1 to win. I think he was his odds were the biggest movement of the day. He lost time today. I basically should remind everybody that you had one major difference in GC compared to yesterday, and that is Pierre Roland, who decided to take time today to win a stage in week two or week three. It's coming. It's coming home. But that's all from us today. One of the great stages of the Tour de France. It's been a great first week overall. I think it's been really good. We're going to sort of wrap it up in the rest day podcast tomorrow, which we'll be doing. It'll be dropping at about the same time, but make sure you ask the questions that you want answered on that rest day pod with the hashtag LRCP. Ciao. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.